Hello everyone, welcome to my show, Karib Startup Leadership Podcast, a podcast to spotlight world-class Asian entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, and innovative leaders who inspire you from the personal journey. This is your host, Priyanka Komla. Today I have with me a very special social innovator, but before I unveil who that is, I'm going to give you a quick reminder to continue to subscribe to us to get our live notifications for our episodes. We're on Priyanka Komla, as well as our Career Startup Leadership Podcast page on LinkedIn to receive your LinkedIn live notifications. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and your favorite podcast streaming platforms. So do continue to subscribe to us, like us, leave a rating and review us to help us understand how this podcast is inspiring you to be a better version of yourself. With that, I'm going to unveil my special guest for the day, Deepa Prahalad, who is a design and social innovator. Hi, Deepa. Welcome to the Hi, show. Hi, Priyanka. Wonderful to be here. Such a pleasure. And to our listeners, Deepa Prahalad and I go a long way as we were fellow speakers at the Indian Business Conference uh, you know, speaking session with the Ross School of Business, which is our alumni network as well. So wonderful to have uh, a fellow uh, speaker and an innovator on our show. So kudos to you for taking time to be part of our episode today. I'm happy to be here. That's awesome. So Deepa Prahlad has a wonderful legacy behind her name. But before I say who that is, I'm going to talk more about the impressive portfolio of work that she has for herself. Deepa Prahlad is a social innovator and author, and she's worked with startups and large multinationals. She's also co-authored the book, Predictable Magic, which you can see right behind mm -hmm. on her shelf, which is to unleash the power of design strategy to transform your business and this was selected by Fast Company as one of the best design books of the year. Well, other reasons you should tune into this episode is Deepa is a wonderful art lover. She's a board member for South Asian Art Collection at the San Diego Museum of Art. And she actively supports several global efforts in memory of her late father, Dr. C.K. Prahlad. And he's a wonderful man that I would like to take a moment to remember as well, uh, a wonderful professor at the University of Michigan. Well, you can also find Deepa's writings uh, in Harvard Business Review, Strategy Plus Business, Business Week, and other magazines. She has a BA in Economics and Political Science from the University of Michigan, go blue, <laughs> and an MBA from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. So, you know, such a wonderful human, Deepa, I should say, beyond all the impressive work <laughs> that you do. So, so excited to have you on the show. Great to be here. So, Deepa, tell us about where you're tuning in from and you know, how does it feel working in this COVID pandemic at home? Yeah, so I live in San Diego, so uh, left uh, sunny Michigan <laughs> a few years ago, but uh, we've all been in San Diego, so just uh, weathering through one day at a time like uh, everybody else. And I have seen the fun part of being at home, of spending more time with family, but also you know, some of the limitations of, you know, not really missing friends and colleagues and that, uh, you know, face-to-face -face banter. You know, that's very true. And I'm so glad you're not missing the, the wintry part of Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get started with, you know, you as a person, Deepa, you're a social innovator and you have this wonderful legacy of your father, Dr. C.K. Pralad. You know, we miss him deeply at the University of Michigan, but he's created a wonderful impact. And even today we think about, you know, the way he looks at transforming businesses. How was it having that intimate relationship with your father and share one memory that you can talk about him? 
I think that deep commitment to inclusion was something that was very much on display at home. Um, you know, he never really had an idea that what he wrote was for fellow academics. It was really to create real world impact. So from the time we were very young, from eight or 10, I mean, it was quite common for him to be working on writing something and then print out three copies at the end of the day and ask my mother, my brother and I to comment on it. So he was very much a person who cared about making his ideas tangible because if they're not tangible, they can't be acted upon. They can't have impact. And he had a very um, a deep sense that, you know, everybody is important. The people, not just who can pay for your ideas and give you keynote speeches, but the people who will be impacted by those decisions. And as he went forward, I saw many times he would deliberately simplify his language from a more academic style throughout his career. And once I joked with him, I said, maybe you're making this a little too simple. And he said, no, Deepa, you know, as companies are being asked to de delve into social issues, what happens inside boardrooms is gonna have a greater impact on all of our lives. So all of us have a moral obligation to make sure that our ideas can be debated by the widest possible audience. And that's something that I think was very special about him. And I, I'm happy to see more people trying to communicate and think in those terms. That's very amazing. And to our listeners, you can check more about Dr. C.K. Prahlad's work. It's all over the web and he has a Wikipedia page as well. So it's a very nostalgic way to pay tribute to him. And thank you, Deepa. You are a blessed soul to have had such wonderful memories with Dr. Prahlad. Absolutely. All right, so a quick reminder for our listeners, do drop in a quick hello and the country that you're tuning in from. That gives us a chance to acknowledge our live listeners. And also we have one lucky listener who's going to win a free mentoring session with Deepa Pralat. So it's an exclusive one-on-one. -on -one. So put your thinking hat on for a question or a comment and we'll make sure Deepa and you get a chance to meet. All right, so let's talk about, before that, I have a listener that I want to acknowledge. We have Paige Ale, who says, hi, Priyanka and Deepa. <laughs> hello. Hi, Tej. And Tej is a business entrepreneur, and he was one of our recent guests on the show and is from the Michigan community as well. Great to see you. All right. Thanks, Tej, for tuning in as well. All right. So let's talk about social innovation. You know, Deepa, this is a term that we hear, but how do you describe this to our global leaders who may not have a better sense of what this actually the term actually means? Yeah, I think social innovation is very much like innovation in any other part, right? You have to actually try to create change, create behavior change. And sometimes you're dealing with very complex um, issues that well, you wouldn't necessarily be able to put a, a profit and loss statement to, but that we all can acknowledge are you know, difficult challenges um, to face. And I think that every business that has longevity, whether it's tech, they talked, you know, really, at their inception, we're really thinking about how do we create access to learning? How do we create um, an entry point for people who may not have a school or a bank? So I think social innovation really looks at both some of these big social problems, but also tries to apply an entrepreneurial mindset and takes into account the aspirations of users to design something that people naturally gravitate toward. And I think it's going to be more important to actually frame it out in terms of co-creation because as people really you know escape extreme poverty what really happens is you have to start respecting their choices and preferences 
And the whole discussion about development has changed quite significantly. It used to be we were addressing, oh my God, there's a famine. So we're pretty good at dealing with those emergencies. Now, how do I think about health? Well, there isn't one um, answer to that, right? I mean, there's cultural preferences, there are different aspects to it, um, what's available. So then the entrepreneur has a much greater role that they can play. There won't be a one size fits all answer to any of those challenges. And, and that's kind of the point. That's what makes it very exciting. You know, that's very true. And there are two aspects that I strongly believe in, which is the emotional connection and creating that sense of community. You know, those are very critical factors in social entrepreneurship. And you, you had this wonderful example when we had an earlier conversation about, you know, this applies to companies like Apple to a Grameen community, you know, because it has the same fabric that binds the values that we believe in. How does it feel when you look back at your own career as a social innovator? I think a lot of people are always saying, you know, how did uh, you measure impact, right? And I think the interesting thing is the best way you have impact is when you see the needs of the people that you are trying to serve evolving. That means you're doing something right. If they are outgrowing what you're doing, it means that what you're doing is working, right? If somebody becomes so comfortable with a technology that they upgrade their phone and they need to do 10 other things, that is actually a really exciting um, outcome. So I'm involved, for example, with a roofing project in India where we did a retrofitted modular roofing that can go on you know, a lot of um, houses that would normally only have the corrugated metal roof. And the really exciting part of that is we found that within six months, about 30% of the customers started or expanded a new business. So I think that's the really key aspect you always want to look to with social innovation. Did I solve way more problems than I caused? No, that's <laughs> um, very true. And, and also, is this now becoming attractive to people far outside the original intended audience? And I think for any innovator, that's um, really the, the test of whether what you did meant something. You know, that's very true. And, you know, it's the process of creating something that's of value to the community. But at the same time, you're creating a lot of goodwill and that impact has a lasting legacy for ages to come. Absolutely. I think especially as South Asian, you know that if you do anything good, it'll be remembered for three generations. And if you do anything bad, it'll be remembered for four generations. So <laughs> you know, that, that's a very effective way of looking at it, which is the reality as well. Right. It's the kind of society that that we grew up in. Now, tell us about art you know, your love for artistic designs. And I wanted to specifically ask uh, you about, you know, the artistic urge, because I see it as something that you're using to create more harmony in a community. I think that's the, the beauty about art is that, first of all, that's one field where none of us are looking for one answer, right? So we have this expanded range of possibilities, even when we're looking at artistic things. So if you, whether you're watching a reality show and everyone's given the same ingredients, the excitement is seeing what each person will do that's different. And I remember when we were interviewing for our book, we had this you know, guitarist, Dave Mason, and he had this, I think, profound statement where he said, look, if you're 
a musician, I, I named an album 26 letters and 12 notes. If you're in the Western musical and you know linguistic tradition, that's all you have. But there isn't anybody out there who doesn't believe that there are you know great books that are yet to be written and great music waiting to be composed. So I think the other discipline about art and any creative pursuit is that you have to imagine whether you're cooking a meal or knitting or whatever, it gives you that discipline of beginning, middle and end. You have to think through a problem in order to produce anything tangible. And I think whether it's technology, pharma, um, you know, banking, a lot of problems end up happening because people get very excited at the outset, at you know the in, initial creative period. And then as things go out in the world, you realize, oh my God, there's some real serious issues that we didn't anticipate. And so I think that discipline is incredibly important. I always joke, you know, that's why uh, most kids are adorable and most adults less so. <laughs> so we have to think about what kind of attention and care do these things need? Um, over time in order to have the impact. And I think when if you're in South Asia, especially, our tradition is a very valuable learning. Um, a lot of the things from a historical perspective, there is a lot of conflict and conquest. And then we're, I think, masters at synthesis. Everything that we're proud of as a community, whether it's the music, the food, the art, the dance, fashion, really shows us how much of it is synthesis. Right. A lot of the outcome of some of those, you know, painful episodes in history are not negative. They're things that we all take pride in. So I think it's a powerful reminder that whatever we're facing, we have choices in how we address it. And it's such a fantastic way to um, introduce. I think people are always like, well, are people ready to change or not ready to change? I don't believe that's binary. I think design is where you offer people a chance to experience different ideas. So for example, I could try sushi one day and then you see that people can be set on a path where suddenly you're thinking about the philosophy of Ikigai, very deep questions about what we're here for, what we're good at, our purpose, but you offer people a range of alternatives. I could read memoirs of a geisha or you have create a range of experiences that are inclusive where people can find their comfort level and build up from there. You know, I'm so glad you walked us through the spectrum of the experiences because choosing a cuisine can go a long way in terms of deep thinking around, you know, that culture. And I see art as a way of bringing different minds together and creating the sense of community and culture. So kudos on helping us think through a different perspective as a social I will add one thing, Priyanka. I think art is also such a powerful way to challenge culture and beliefs that are not serving us any longer. So if you look at American history at Norman Rockwell, he's like the painter of all this nostalgia, Americana. And one of his most powerful pieces that was you know, so controversial, he, he left the country is when the country was going through desegregation. He painted um, a, paint, uh, a piece called The Problem We All Live With. And what he did was he put this issue of segregation not in a question of debate. He humanized the problem by painting a little girl named Ruby Bridges being escorted into school because she was the only black child um, attending by the National Guard and with her head down and, and racial slurs written on the wall. And I think in that one picture, 
he brought a lot of people to their senses about what are we really doing and what is the impact on individuals. And, um, you know, a lot of people who were fans became not as fans. And a lot of people who thought his art was um, very sappy and uh, and repetitive suddenly realized somebody, he got a letter from somebody who had always been a critic of his said, in one picture, you showed me the fallacy of, um, you know, a lot of these policies and debates. So I think we always keep that in mind as well. That's very true. And art is such a powerful tool to help us understand what's happening around the society. And it's a powerful medium of communication. You don't have to just write or tweet. Art is a subtle way of helping people understand, you know, where things could go different. Absolutely. So tell us about the Indian miniature design at the San Diego Art Museum. What's happening there? What's the vision that you're part of in this project? Yes, so I am actually um, involved in the museum in a few different ways. We actually have uh, one of the heirs to the Crayola family absolutely loved Indian art. So we actually have an amazing collection here in San Diego and of course limitations of space in the actual physical dwelling. So we've, uh, you know, had a museum committee that's really helped to um, restore and, and uh, organize a lot of these paintings in in different phases and along different themes and bring them and a lot of those exhibitions are traveling. And we also have another really exciting project called the House of India. So um, in the same park, the uh, museum uh, back, we have about uh, seven or eight museums. So it's, it's the largest urban cultural park in America. And this will be the first permanent structure devoted to India in the United States. And I'm really excited because, you know, I'm in charge of the interior design for that and it, it will be opening um, next year. But this will be one place to house uh, on a permanent basis and a dedicated uh, way, kind of capturing the, the history of South Asia to an extent, but also the Indian community here. That's pretty cool. And when is this open for public? Uh, be around sometime around March um, of uh, next year. That's amazing. And we're all looking forward to it. And it's going to be super exciting to see your vision come into reality, and especially for the Indian community. Absolutely. Awesome. So we have a couple of questions and listeners from our live listeners. So okay. to our listeners, this is a reminder to put on your thinking hat and drop in a quick question or a comment to win a free mentoring session on episode 65 of our Career Startup Leadership Podcast with Deepa Pralad. Also, please drop in a quick hello in the country that you're tuning in from so we get a chance to acknowledge you as well. So we have Anu Bhatt who says hello. <laughs> hey Anu and Anu is an art entrepreneur and she's going to be uh, an upcoming guest on our show this month as oh, well. Oh excellent. That's awesome. We have a question from Tej Ale. Where do you see social innovation going as a field in the next five years? I think you're going to just see a complete blurring of the lines between social innovation and what we consider, you know, corporate innovation at large. I think a crisis really um, doesn't allow you to have this clear line of separation. And people are going to have to really double down on inclusion and collaboration. And that's something that you see a lot of in the social innovation space. People acknowledge at the outset that, you know, it's not going to be the capabilities of one organization that can drive change. And increasingly that realization is happening across industries. And the real benefit of being an entrepreneur is you have that luxury to be inclusive at birth. And I think people 
really need to look at, you know, I, just as we've seen for the last 20 years, there's some limitations and there's some ill effects of a complete focus on shareholder value. That debate has been, you know, going on for some time and has really accelerated even pre-COVID um, in the last five years. We're also going to have to start saying, yes, we do need to be human centered and or consumer centered rather. But we also need to think deeply about the community because you see very much now a lot of backlash against companies is not about what they show to consumers, actually quite good in many cases, but what's under the hood? How are you treating workers? How is your supply chain being managed, right? Is Are your policies greenwashing? Um, are they PR oriented or are they really at a deeper level that can be implemented and measured and, and easily understood. Um, so that's really interesting. And I think there are a lot of exciting things that can happen too. We're thinking of how do you save restaurants? Yesterday, simple human that makes all the garbage can lids that just uh, are touchless. And Cholula Hot Sauce created a nice touchless dispenser that they, they demoed. So everyone, I think, leadership is going to really depend on that ability to think very deeply about fairness and equity. What you really see when you look at social innovation is that a lot of issues don't really get solved per se. What they do is they change form. So the kind of gender inequality you might see in developing countries may not exist in the same form in developed countries. But you see things like, you know, Me Too. We see things like this you know, crisis is really, now they've coined the term stuck at home mom instead of stay at home mom. So we are going to see that different events have different structural consequences. The financial crisis was the man session and this crisis is taking away a lot of the gains that women have made. So we have to always think about, sometimes we do have to put a specific emphasis on different groups at different times and understand how these systems all work together. That's right. Leaders have to be systems thinkers, absolutely, not even if, not just good leaders in their individual organizations. You know, that's very true. And you brought up a lot of points about, you know, we, we usually speak about carpet social responsibility. It's what are you accountable for? But now I think the pandemic has really opened the eyes of the leaders to create you know, more uplifting cultural values for organizations, especially as women are dropping out of the workforce, you know, in millions, you know, it's high time we start to reclaim that power to create a cohesive community where everybody feels valued. So a lot of challenges ahead for our leadership. I would definitely agree with that. Now, you know, the other interesting aspect that we uh, would like to speak about is companies. You know, we have these uh, different companies, say, for example, specifically like IKEA. You know, these are design specific companies where they're co-creating value by making consumers the part of their products, right? Because it's do it yourself. And I feel like, hey, there's some value when I bring in unfinished product and put it together in place. So how does design play a critical role in terms of how companies position themselves? Yeah, so I think it doesn't really matter what sector you're in or what change you're trying to think. Design is always important. I always explain to entrepreneurs Design is the difference between somebody telling you you have a good idea and placing an order. People tend to think of design in terms of aesthetics. Actually, I tend to look at it as proof of execution capability and your ability to synthesize lots of different ideas. So let's give a quick example. I think there's 
a few things that design does. One, design transforms market size. Think of the earliest cell phones that came out that were like two and a half pounds, right? <laughs> it, it wouldn't matter if you created a, a lesser price point. It was through all those iterations that you suddenly transformed something that was a want into a need. It's, it's through that process of adding a camera, adding functions that a lot of people care about, but wouldn't have necessarily asked for. So the imagination piece is critical. But even if you're looking at social impact, even their design and narrative are absolutely fundamental. So if you look at Gandhi, the idea of Indian independence existed for 50 years before he ever came on the scene. It's that creation of the narrative around self-sufficiency as well as the creation of the spinning wheel that made achieving all of those goals possible. And the other thing that designers have to understand and, and execute upon is that design is not about describing change. You have to help people cope with change. For example, everybody might know that there are gay couples, there are more people getting divorced, there are more dads who are caring for children. We all know those things. So the only thing a consultant can do is give you precision on the obvious. What an entrepreneur does is put the diaper change facility in the men's bathroom. You enable people and people can and do change when they are given the tools to do so and they are imbued with the confidence to do so. And that's what great designers have to do, right? And, and those are the things that make inclusion possible, that make governance possible. And that's something that can be learned. That's the good thing, right? People can understand that you consciously build that emotional connection. And a lot of the examples that have succeeded in spectacular ways, they're not only doing something new, they really hit that sweet spot between familiarity and novelty. So you don't tell people that everything they were doing was wrong. You help guide them to something that's very exciting and, and also fun and intuitive. Very true. And it's more like you're facilitating that change, right? And you brought up a very wonderful point. It's finding that sweet spot between comfort and change because people are willing to change, but they want to still be in that comfort zone. So they're not dealing with the unfamiliar terrain all of a sudden. Absolutely. So you you have to make people feel supported in that right. Very uh, true. So you work with a lot of startups. And what is one advice you would give to them, especially in these challenging times? They might be looking at building their idea, you know, building a prototype, looking for funding, investments. One key takeaway. Really strive for a match between your physical design and service and the narrative around it. That is what creates winning ideas in the marketplace. It's not one singular aesthetic. It's not one singular technology. Trust is built by aligning what is promised and what is delivered, setting expectations. If I want uh, home-style food and somebody is providing me the best mac and cheese ever, I'm happy. If I was told I was getting fine dining and I'm getting that same mac and cheese, not happy. <laughs> so I think that idea of creating sharing especially if you're an entrepreneur, you can't be the one patting yourself on the back. You have to create the capital um, and the experience that people want to share, that they want to talk about and create the community. So, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in, everything as humble as instant pot to high technology ultimately creates community in order to sustain. 
that's amazing and yeah you know you brought up you put it in a very fabulous way in terms of managing expectations you know as entrepreneurs that's one of the challenging aspects where you set expectations but you have to live up to those expectations on a daily basis right with your consumers absolutely so let's talk about your professional journey deepa when you look back is there something that you wish you had done differently I think um, you know I have uh, taken breaks and and fits and starts but you know as I look back now I think that some of that has actually given me time to reflect and uh given me time to connect and uh, one thing I've realized is that all of these um you know things that we we want to do at the ends we want to achieve really depend on human connections not just generating the best new idea because none of you know ideas don't come out in perfect form and innovation exists in different forms so if i have a product idea by hook or by crook between 3d printing or a computer animation or something people can go out there and put it in a tangible form and have it evaluated if you have a skill you really are dependent on others to imagine how that skill could be deployed and if you just have an attention you need connections and networks to make anything possible so in any case what you really need to focus on is always connecting with different people and i if i look at everything good that has happened in my career 100% was attributable to the fact that i always took cold calls i never assumed if someone said they wanted to have a short conversation i never said no So my book came about at a random dinner party. I met my co-author Ravi Sani. We had an amazing conversation and I initially was going to work on a business plan with him, so I dropped off some writing samples and he called and said, "Why don't we write a book together?" And it ended up being a wonderful partnership. We really um were able to give people, I would say, a practical user's guide to design. Um if I look at all of my social innovation product projects after a talk um with Roofing with Mod Roof a young entrepreneur reached out to me said you know can we talk and I ended up getting involved at a very early stage but we've really seen that go from a prototype to a full-fledged factory and customer visits in a very short period of time so my advice to people is is take the cold calls for a simple reason that by the time somebody comes to you for a call they're not really starting from scratch usually they've agonized over something for a long time and they're looking for support and they're ready to move um and i think if you understand that it's fabulous partnerships that can be forged and it's it's a learning experience that's how you keep yourself sharp they keep saying stay hungry stay foolish only way to do that is to consciously connect with people different than you You know that's a nice tip especially in these pandemic times right talking to people creating that sense of community well i'm so glad you brought up your book as well would you be able to give us a closer look at your book as well absolutely so this is predictable magic um it's a little old night now but <laughs> what we've um really tried to do priyanka is give people a road map I mean, everyone is excited when you see companies like Apple or IKEA or all of these design-driven companies or Lego how of, of what the results of design can be the process tends to be less transparent and it just like leadership used to be something that although you were either born with or you know you didn't have it 
now people understand that, well, there are leadership behaviors that can be learned. Um, there are ways to communicate that can be learned. I think design is much the same way. I, and the fundamental questions are, how do I start? And how do I know when I'm done? And we've really tried to answer that with a, a very distinct process. And what happens quite often is that you see that the best companies, the statistics on innovation are pretty poor. 80% an estimated, a generous estimation, some people put it higher, of new products fail. And that's in developed markets. And what we found is that really the products that succeed in the marketplace are the ones that make people feel good about themselves. Sounds incredibly simple, but how do you understand and design for that emotional connection consciously and both in the product or service and in the narrative? And to an extent that people can identify with you. And it's not a shallowness if somebody rejects your product or service. The same ability that people use when they're going through a shop or online even is exact same ability that we all have to go into a crowded theater and somehow find our friend or relative, no matter how many other uh, people are there, we're programmed a certain way. And the good news is that different people are looking for different payoffs. And each one of us might be a high-end consumer in one category and a middle range consumer, another category or low end consumer. Um, so it's a lot of really interesting blend of psychology, um, not a lot of just looking only at income levels that makes for the creation of successful products. And that's what I always joke about when you're dealing with social innovation, poor people never think in terms of a minimum viable product right? Your tailor in India will give you the perfect blouse exactly to your specifications. They never say, I'm not getting paid that much, so why should I bother? So that's why many people who have tried to do social innovation have not done as well. That tends to be the mindset that I can judge someone by their income. Not true. That's very true. And, you know, design also needs to reflect the diversity of uses, right? And they come from different social strata. So how do you appeal to your right consumer base is, is always a challenge. And I think that's the best part about social entrepreneurship. Absolutely. And that's the, the cool part. And I think that's going to be increasingly universal. A lot of college kids are moving back in with their parents. So, you know, when you're doing a social innovation, you tend to understand that that one product or service, you are always consciously looking at how is it going to go out across at least two generations, parents and grandparents, and how is it going to be looked at in the community? So you really have to design things where people have support and network. So for example, microfinance, I, they understood, yes, it's women who need to have this power for the first time over finance, but saying that we're going to do it to a group of women makes it a lot less lonely. You're building in support structures. And that is critically important. And it's going to be important here too. I, I just had a friend forward me an email, this wonderful uh, initiative that Dolly Parton did. Her hometown had a 34% high school dropout rate at one point. So she had a gathering for kindergartners at her amusement park, Dolly Land, and told all those children that you're gonna pick a buddy today. And if both of you graduate from high school, I'm gonna give each one of you a $1,500 check when you graduate as a reward. And from that day, this has gone on for years, the dropout rate is 6% and it's pretty much stayed there. That's amazing. 
So it's creating a support, not just all the time dispensing information. Information doesn't change behavior, support changes behavior. You know, and having that support system is very crucial because that feeling of community gives a lot of accountability and there's empathy in that process. So it's not just like, hey, here you go, you know, take it and, you know, the dropout rate needs to change. But looking at the psychological traits, the way we humans process information, I think that's very important as part of design thinking. Now, tell me this, Deepa, as an Asian, what career advice would you have for someone who's looking into design uh, for social innovation and how has the field been receptive to you in terms of you know from a cultural angle i i don't i think that design you're always looking for new ideas so people are quite receptive to different ideas and design is really an encapsulation of how we look at the world so whatever you're doing it's always important to go and say why does something exist? And you can laugh because you go to an Indian village, it's a great way to take a temperature, right? You see a lot of women will put elaborate, beautiful patterns outside their home, even in a village to welcome visitors every day, whether someone's expected or not, then they'll sweep the front and do all of these elaborate designs. And then there'll also be this little, you know, knot with the uh, chilies and everything else to prevent the evil eye. And I look at that and I said, after all of this, you know, transformation and being two generations outside, what do I do? I have a doormat and I have my ring doorbell. I'm replicating <laughs> that same thought process of, and, and that's the experience of going to India, right? You will be welcomed and you will be watched. <laughs> so um, that's a great way to take the temperature of, of what people do and how they are spending their money. Right, so if you see a lot of people when they're designing more permanent solutions, this was critical when we were designing roofing, said, well, do we need to focus on design? I said, absolutely, because if you look at how people are dressed, how they have dressed their children, how clean they're keeping it, what you realize is that people have huge aspirations. In this category, they don't have any choices. But a lot of poverty, a lot of people who are, you know, quote unquote, stuck, it's not a lack of intelligence, a lack of motivation, it's really a lack of choices and a lack of support. And if you provide that in whatever you offer, your market size will always be far bigger than you imagine it to be. Right. So it's understanding your consumer base, right? And you know, you brought, brought at the aspiration level. No, I mean this right. is important, right? At the aspiration level, not at the income level, because be among the poorest of the poor, if you were to look at those markets in terms of needs, you would say, "Oh my God, you need better food, sanitation, all of these things." What has actually been adopted at scale? You know, it's really technology, financial services, branded fashion, beauty products. All of those reflect aspirations, not our view of needs. So you have to just design those so they become a way to deliver on the needs too, right? So just be agnostic about the order that people do things. Now that they have a cell phone, I can deliver education. I can deliver financial services. Um, I can deliver, you know, entrepreneurial connections that may not have been possible. So that is the really important, you have to enable people to make new connections, but you have to give them the agency to do so. You can't dictate it completely. I would say give people the crayon, but don't try to draw the picture. That's a wonderful way of putting it, right? You help them co-create value. And especially, you know, if you look at, you know, uh, you know, second tier or third tier villages, 
people are adopting technology like cell phone is now like a basic thing that everybody has and you brought up a fascinating point it's how do you deliver technology be it for farming be it for education or making digital payments now with the uh, covid pandemic right everything is at the touch of a button or maybe even watching your favorite show on netflix you know making it more accessible uh, i think that's uh, humanly possible now with technology we have a fun rapid fire round for you are you okay. ready for it <laughs> all right so and a quick reminder to our listeners do drop in your key takeaway as we are towards the nearing the end of the episode so what's one thing that you've learned from deepa or a quick comment we would appreciate that all right deepa your fun rapid fire round is here for you okay you tell me the first thing that come to your comes to your mind and in one word who is your role model parents for sure both of them how have your parents seen your success especially given you have a big legacy of your father you know, interestingly enough because they are both in education in different ways they really emphasized excellence but not a particular field my brother is in biotech my sister in law is a lawyer you know my husband and i are both in business but to them i think excellence and integrity were far more important than the given field so we had complete freedom they said you know whatever you want to get your phd in is fine with us and only only my brother followed that advice unfortunately but um no they didn't try to dictate what we did that's pretty awesome what does happiness mean to you i think family friends really great food and great conversation um that's a perfect uh, combination for me how do you define success i think you have to do something really creative do something different that has not been done before and something that makes an impact and have fun doing it to me that's like a great conversation i don't think of of success in terms of the outcome but you know are you having this sense of adventure are you just learning something that uh, you never thought you would have a a say in but is actually ending up being a ton of fun what is one fun thing about deepa that's exclusive to our career startup leadership podcast listeners you know i have way too many shoes <laughs> and now during covid as i'm looking through my closet i'm like wow i i think i have a problem and the other thing is i'm just a complete interior design addict and always have been so in my mind i redesign every room in my house at least once a week and i actually had to transform my garage part of it into a craft area and i have magazine inspirational pictures dating from way back from every interior <laughs> design magazine um in case i need to so that's my happy time is uh, just thumbing through and imagining all these different places you know it's it's wonderful to be in your shoes think through <laughs> the imagination part of it what is your native language and one word to describe yourself in it Unfortunately, English is still my uh, native language. Uh, my parents were from different parts of India, so regret not having uh, learned any Indian language well. And if I had to describe myself in one word, hopefully compassionate, um, but I also try to see the lighter things uh, side of things. So most of my friends remember me for just finding some way to laugh about almost anything. Um, <laughs> It's nice to have that sense of humor, right? A little bit of chilled out attitude helps in life. Absolutely. All right so it was wonderful to have you on this episode of Career Startup Leadership Podcast Deepa what are your parting thoughts to our listeners I think this is a time it's a cliche but I I truly think that this is a time to really integrate a lot of things in the back of our head that we think about well when I achieve what I want to achieve these are issues that I care about there's always a way to integrate them in at a very early stage one of the most inspiring stories I've heard actually from America is 
you know, in the Great Depression, one of these manufacturers of flour heard from his salespeople that people are really hurting. So they're using flour sacks to do all kinds of things in the house. They're not even throwing that away. And the first thing he did was so amazing. He said, if that's the case, I'm going to print these flower sacks with the most beautiful patterns that are in tune with what the fashions are so that anybody, if if they need to make clothing out of that or toys or anything, that there's no stigma attached. And they gave special washing instructions so you could take out the brand name. Um, and it starts out as compassion, but in the end, that became a cottage industry and people set up um, different types of, of businesses to stitch clothes from flower sacks. And I think that is really an illustration of, you know, do those little things that you know you can do, and that opens the doors to the things you never thought possible. You don't have to know the answers, and that's kind of the point. There isn't going to be a single answer for the problems we're facing today, whether it's climate change or inequality. What matters and what entrepreneurs do best is introducing new choices. So if you have it with that mindset, then I think you can have a much more respectful dialogue than you understand um, that I, I'm not trying to single-handedly solve a problem that's too high a bar, but I can act and I can make a difference right away and expand from there. That's pretty cool. Uh, thanks for that reminder that compassion needs to be ingrained in our day-to-day -day aspects of life. Absolutely. All right. Anything else as we wrap up this episode? No, thank you so much. But I mean, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, I think you've published my handles. I'm happy to take questions even afterwards. Um, so let me know how I can be of help. Awesome. And your experience being on the podcast, anything that you want to share? Yeah, it's wonderful to connect with uh, Ross alum. And I think this is such a wonderful format to kind of bring a little bit of the South Asian experience, which I think has broad applicability because we're so diverse, diverse among ourselves. And we have the benefit of um, really a global diaspora and and a, an insight on global issues that may be unique. I think if you're from India, you see this wide spectrum of lived experience in your face every day. And I think that gives you a different consciousness as you create that, you know, maybe even if the world isn't fair, that maybe individuals and organizations can strive to make it more so. And I think that's incredibly helpful, especially at a time like this. That's awesome. Thank you. And to, uh, to our listeners, a uh, quick reminder to continue subscribing to us by following us on any of the social media platforms or podcast streaming platforms as well. All right, so we have some final comments and we're going to unveil the, the winner of the free mentoring session as well. So okay. are you excited for it? Yes, absolutely. All right, so we have a comment from Satya who says, very interesting interview. Thank you, Satya. Thank you. All right, so we're going to give away that free mentoring session to Tej Ale on his question for social innovation. So congrats, Tej. And if you've seen this message, give us a thumbs up and we'll connect you offline to Deepa for your free mentoring session as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks so much, Deepa. You know, it's been inspiring to hear from you on the design for social innovation because it's a concept that people need more awareness about and how it could be a potential career, you know, as we look forward to as well. And the impact it's creating uh, in terms of social entrepreneurship, I think that's a huge benefit to all of us. So one key takeaway that I would love to leave our listeners with on this episode 65 of Career Startup Leadership Podcast with Deepa Pralad and your host Priyanka Komla is, art has a unique way of 
bringing people together. So look at artistic ways, designful ways in which we can co-create communities and create something value, uh, valuable out of it. And a fun tip on the side is pick up those DM calls or those DM, um, you know, cold messages that you get because you never know where an opportunity might just be lurking around for you. So thank you, Deepa, for sharing those candid uh, insights from your professional journey as well. And it's been truly amazing to get to know you. And I wish you the very best in all your upcoming endeavors as well. Same to you, Priyanka. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And to our listeners, this is your host, Priyanka Komla, signing off. We have a wonderful line of episodes coming up tomorrow, Monday, as well as Tuesday. So stay tuned by following me, Priyanka Komla, and a Career Up Startup Leadership Podcast page on LinkedIn to receive your LinkedIn Live notifications. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and your favorite podcast streaming platforms. So if you're hearing us on any of these different platforms, do give us a like, a thumbs up, and subscribe and follow us and leave a comment and a rating. So thank you, and we'll see you tomorrow at another episode. Thanks. Thanks.